0: what's up everyone welcome to another episode of desolation radio it's me Boy dan evans i'm joined as ever by the boy nathan kush how are you you're right not bad son what's going on
1: ah not much just in my best life like
0: good keep it up thank you and we're joined by the boy as ever dr kieran smith what's up kieran
2: all right boys how you
0: doing mate Ah, well, not great actually.
2: Yeah, things are a bit difficult. I'm got a job. Just oh yeah, that I dog. Yeah. Did okay, I tell I you about I the dog?
0: Yeah. Oh no, I can't. What happened? Oh, nothing. It's just having a walk, like. Oh, no, oh, no, oh that's awesome. Yeah, it was so class. Awesome. What were you I saying, was just saying. Oh, oh, things were a bit difficult because oh, no, my no, mental health uh, is, uh... we've got me. We've got
1: a. Oh yeah, no. It um. Oh, we've right. got to talk. About I it. think it smiled at me, but you know they smile a lot anyway.
0: I would like to speak about the dog just a little bit more. If that's okay. I named him. That's fine, Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 What kind of dog is it, Nath? it's like a weird black dog. No. No, no, no! It was like really nice. It was, like really brightly coloured. Ah. Oh, yeah, right. it's like almost white, like ethereal. Okay. But oh, it was like nice. um, it's almost. I'm not sure if it was real. I think it's just a reflection of like how great my life is going. I that's had to an, cook. I had to cook
0: my dog. That's an day. awesome. <laughs> that's an awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it, but like, yeah, that's awesome. uplifting story, Nathan. I'm it glad. Was. I'm glad that you, you're feeling good and your life's. Do uh, so you know what? As, as really well, well,
1: like uh, a hamster's right in his back.
0: Okay. All right. Anyway, this week we are joined by. Our good friend, well, we'll introduce him in a sec, but Robert Idris, and we're going to talk to him today about nuclear power and nuclear capitalism in modern Wales. Hope you enjoy the interview. It's going to be great. Okay, welcome to our good friend and comrade, Robert Idris. Robert is uh plays a key role in a campaign group, People Against Wilverby B or PAWB. He's an active member of CND Cymru. Um, he's a prolific writer and campaigner against the nuclear industry, You know, not just in, in Wales or in Anglesey, but right across the UK. So, Rob, it's a real privilege to have you join us. Uh, welcome.
3: Machi uh, machi, as we say in downtown Tokyo and in, in Tsushima.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> right. The immediate political context, Rob, is that Wilbur there with the proposed new nuclear power plant for Anglesey has relatively recently been cancelled. I believe it was the start of 2000. Was it start of last year, 2019? Yeah, um, Jan-
3: January of 2019.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You sent me a hilarious clip. Well, hilarious slash bleak clip of Ken Skates in the Senedd reacting to the Wilver B being cancelled. And it really was as if it was, like, reacting to a death in a family or, or you know, some sort of natural disaster. He was, like, ashen-faced. And then you've got Reynab Yarweth, you know, the AM for Mon basically berating him, like, you haven't done enough to make this happen, blah, blah, um, which was just a surreal thing to watch, and we'll tweet it out afterwards. So, basically, yes. power was seen as this, the centrepiece, wasn't it, of oh, the, it was the nation of North Wales. Wales? Not just Wielm. In Anglesey, a new reactor in is. So, Rob, what was being proposed as part of the Wilverby deal, and what happened?
3: Well, I think it's it's good that you've chosen nuclear as a topic for discussion because if there's one thing that contains virtually all the elements of the you know tragic comedy which is this on this earth today, let alone in Wales and the UK, this is it. Because you're talking about you know, the incursion of Massive capitalist enterprise onto a rural economy which has been deliberately put on its knees, so that you know the locals will accept virtually anything. You're talking about massive environmental uh, desecration of what 750 acres of land, you know, at a time when we're supposedly uh, aware of issues about climate. We, we, we're talking about lies on a massive scale, you know, such as that uh, nuclear is uh, low carbon and so you're getting all these things repeated. So that you have a drip 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 of misinformation you have a permeation into the education system from primary school upwards up to the universities pushing this stuff the proposal first came about oh well over a decade ago really and it followed on from uh, blair's energy review so what you had in essence was that um, a nuclear renaissance was proposed uh, in the uk and it was going to, always going to be easier to do that in sites which had already uh, had experience of the so-called benefits of nuclear in the past a because it was perceived that you had a compliance workforce and uh, civic society and a uh, receptive political class um, and also of course because it was going well, to be much easier in terms of the licensing pr- process as well so what was proposed was uh, two very large reactors considerably bigger than the original Wilva a ones um, based on a initially it was, it was um, the German uh, companies RWE and Eon, which bought the sites from EDF originally, and they set up the company called Horizon Nuclear. So Horizon is essentially a front company. After Fukushima, the Russians uh, the, sorry the Germans withdrew, leaving the, the, the project virtually in limbo. Then Hitachi came in on top, uh, following that. So they're, they're essentially the people who hold the um, purse rings and are directing Horizon locally, if you like. Horizon is a front organization which does the PR, if you like, and there's all the necessary wheeling and dealing with local So that's essentially what it was all about. The, obviously the carrots uh, locally are jobs, 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 jobs. It's essentially, it's sort of crystallized in terms of 850 permanent jobs. Goodness knows how many would be for local people because the nature of these things is that you're going to have at the top of the pile pretty specialist nuclear people, which is what you should expect. You'd have some, obviously, benefits from the supply chain, but how much was never quantified. You had the supposedly wonderful benefits of a construction phase employing what, six, seven, eight thousand people at peak. But even the company themselves admitted, well, only 25% of those would be local, and their definition of local was. Two so hours travel away, which brings you over to Cheshire and Merseyside, doesn't it? You know, so how many would actually be local people from Anglesey and Gwynedd is, is very much uh, open to doubt. But strangely enough, just the one word "jobs" in neon lights appears to freeze all types of rational analysis of this on behalf, in terms of the local politicians, uh, Welsh governments, universities, etc., etc. So there has never been a proper analysis of this or a proper public debate in my view your good selves remarkably are the first people who've actually asked, asked uh, for an in-depth at length interview you know we would always have welcomed in the past such a discussion with other you know if you like well-known people like the BBC, ATV, S4C whoever and also given an opportunity for the nuclear industry to, to, to have their say that that never occurred so we've had very much a sort of um directed uh, narrative. We've had a sort of shutdown narrative as well. And we've had, yeah, as I say, a campaign of misinformation because, you know, when you think about it, well, you know, our little organisation of activists, you know, meagly funded, has taken on the local council, the assembly member, the member of parliament, the Welsh government, the Westminster the government and the Japanese government. You know, it's somewhat something of a David and Goliath thing and, and certainly we're not going to credit that the thing stopped because that's come down to economics. But what's been missing from the debate is any real discussion of issues other than the monetary, the economic and the very narrow jobs focus as well. The Native American have a proverb um, or a saying which says every decision you make today you should consider the seventh generation. Well, in terms of nuclear it's not just the seventh generation, it's hundreds of generations, isn't it? Because ultimately you have a problem of radioactive nuclear waste, which has never been solved anywhere in the world. So if that's the case, why why on earth would you want to produce more? And as we know, the narrative has moved on from the time when the thing was first proposed, and you had all the claims that, yes, we have to have nuclear. By now, we know that renewables are very much on the up, come down in price, storage technologies are improving. We've had lie that we need base on power disproved, even though that's still run out by the nuclear lobby. So all in all, all the worldwide trends are that nuclear is a technology of the past, and of course there is a realization by the many people that, that is also the case, because there is no appetite whatsoever for commercial investment. The only way any large plant, and this would include Wilber, which, by the way, they claim is frozen as opposed to cancelled, and that's the that's the rationale that Welsh governments and the council still have for for still backing it. So, the only way that it would ever happen is if essentially UK government throw open-ended uh, commitments to it. They, w- they are due to produce a new financing model, for example, in the not-too-distant future, which will, in essence, remove the largest parts of the risk from the commercial company onto the taxpayer, and the electricity bill payer. Any other industry wouldn't have that, would they, really? So. I think also that there is something about the psyche of nuclear which interacts with the psyche of the UK state and the after effects of British Empire, if you like. And I'm sure there are uh, academic analysts and professional pundits who 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 will point out the obvious connection between the, you know, post-imperial angst and the Brexit debate, and I would say another facet of this is this obsession with staying in nuclear because it means that you're still sitting on the Security Council as a big boy. The Irish Prime Minister very recently said, we better get used to being, the, to the idea that it is now a small country of little influence, or so words to that effect. That is not a perception, apparently, the UK uh, ruling elite have. So there are all sorts of factors at play here. In terms of Wales itself, uh, as you know, down in, in the industrial south, you know, that there's a history of centuries of exploitation and being downtrodden and, and almost made to feel that we cannot seek our own economic salvation in other ways, that we always have to depend uh, on an external uh, source of investment to save us from poverty and penury. We know by now that the world is. Fast approaching, if not already past the point of no return in terms of exploiting its natural resources, we should give up on this idea of unlimited growth. We should give up on the idea that consumerism is all. And that includes energy, doesn't it really? Because we should give up on the idea that there's going to be an exponential demand for energy uh, and so on. So perhaps I've overrun my introduction, but. uh, (laughs) no, was, <laughs> perhaps you'd like to f- throw in a few questions for me
0: yeah well that was that was, that was yeah that was perfect Rob it's basically a great overview of what the, of the political context I just wanted to ask just really briefly I've read somewhere that the so you said the reactors that were proposed for truce, you know, new Trocefuniv and new Wilver were qualitatively different from the old ones in terms of I guess the the danger almost like the potency of the radioactive materials that they would produce is that i heard right
3: yes in terms of Wilver, that is correct you know we, we move on to transplant later on i think but uh, in terms of wilbur the spent fuel was removed to sell you know and that's virtually been completed by now with the proposed new reactors what would happen is that the because of the nature of the process, the radioactive waste would be at least twice as hot, if you like, as the um, previous ones. And therefore, it had to be stored on site for at least a century, probably 120 years, if not more, before it could be safely moved anywhere. So that begs the question, you know, would you really like to be raising your kids next door to that, let alone when it's, the thing's operating? And as I say, we, we, we always go back to the question what happens to the waste at the end of the day. Um, I think it's interesting on that particular point to note that in Sweden, the very issue of radioactive waste burial cropped up and the government regulators okayed it. However, there is what they call an environmental court there, which has people sitting on it, which are experts in all sorts of other fields, say environmental, societal and all that kind of stuff. So people give evidence who are not necessarily, if you like, in the nuclear industry, and they, they they stop the process. I think the other thing is that we we, we have this um, idea that we can vent ourselves out of trouble all the time. That we can depend on technology. You know, well this is this is this requires the invention of a technology which is going to be foolproof for thousands and thousands of years, isn't it? Only yeah. last week, I think something came out from uh, Ohio uh, University which questioned the actual storage techniques they were using in the US uh, for nuclear waste. So, you know, there are all sorts of unknowns, really. I think the days of if you like, relying on the men in white coats are well past, and the Wilsonian phrase of the white heat of technology and almost bowed down before that uh, are long gone. I think we're in a new age of scepticism, rightly so. But to go back to the actual proposal at Wilbur, it's also true true that many people aren't aware that the actual size of the thing would be immensely greater than the original Wilver A. The site is 10 times bigger the land that they've acquired, which begs the question, well, is there, or would there have been a proposal for a, not only Wilbur B, but eventually a Wilbur C, etc., etc. et cetera. Let's not forget that the original reason for building Wilver A was not, in fact, to produce electricity, but to produce plutonium as a result of the Cold War. That was the same in Tasmania. There was, there's an interview with Lord Hinton. Who was the late Lord Hinton who was the chairman of the Central Electricity Generating Board at the time. That was then um, by a guy called David Lowry who worked uh, for Flavio Smith, who was the then Labour MP at the time. And in that interview, Lord Hinton says, "Well, Wilver is was a sad and story, sad and sorry story. It should never have been built. It was at the insistence of government that it was built for that very purpose." I don't know uh, whether or not Cledwyn, who was the local MP, was aware of that or not, because it only came out years and years later. So I think it's it's relevant to note that the nuclear industry in Wales is founded on militarism, the you know the precise purpose of building things that would destroy all of mankind, really, isn't it? So you know I th- I, th- I think that's a basic point that people perhaps are not aware of.
2: I mean, you sort of answered the question really there where you're talking about, um, you know, one of the big problems being waste (laughs) and, you know, talking about the, the Native American proverb that, you know, you've got to look ahead, not just one generation, but several generations when it comes to nuclear. But I suppose this is probably a question you get asked a lot. But, you know, we're living in an age now where I think there is a bit, you know, this growing awareness around, you know, the dangers of climate change. You know, and there's some environmentalists out there, you know, vocal environmentalists, people like George Monbiot, who have pivoted in support of nuclear because it's a kind of viewed as a so-called clean energy. I mean, what what would you say to that kind of argument? And, you know, is what, you know, is nuclear really a clean energy, I suppose, would
3: be the question? Yes. OK, well, yes, you're quite right. George Monbiot has peddled this line um, and there have been adequate rebuttals from the likes of Jonathan Porridge to it. Um, I think that, I think his Mombo's perception was well. We need to do something about climate change. That is the main challenge of the age, you know, and that is correct. However, nuclear is not the answer to that. Now, since he came out to those views, we know that renewables have come on apace. Stanford University, for example, have done scenarios for 120 plus countries where 100% renewable is achievable across a different range of economic and political systems. So, you know, that that's very much on the earth, really. I think the other thing is that there is no reason to suppose that nuclear would come into the... or fill, 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 fill the gap in time, really, to replace coal and oil and what have you. We were told that uh, we would be using electricity from Hinkley to cook our Christmas turkeys in 2017. Latest, the latest date is 2027, I believe. Now, the people who are in the know, or, you know, 5 of us um, here say that we need to do something about climate crisis within the next 10 to 12 years. Can you really say that nuclear is going to have a, a significant part to play there? Of course you can't. I think also that this other thing that we get uh, thrown at us is that uh, nuclear is low carbon. Well, the only place it's low carbon is actually the actual point of production. What it doesn't do is take into account whole mining process, the actual building of the plants themselves, all the infrastructure, all the steel that goes into it, all the stuff about decommissioning and so on. And, you know, even that, then then you've got the waste problem, which hasn't even been accounted for. The, the, there are a number of studies which have been done. Some will claim that nuclear is relatively low carbon, some will say it's higher carbon, but in general, say nuclear is going to be low carbon than, than coal and oil. But it's not going to be lower carbon than renewables. It depends on the study you look at, you know, one may be better than the other. But I think also in terms of environmentalism, which George Monbiot is famous for, or, or and his ilk, as I, I believe it's the old-fashioned phrase. I think we got. To, <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think. We, <laughs> I think we got to look at what happens to indigenous populations, because that's where these things are mined, uranium, yeah. And it's often, I think it's useful. I I, I know that's maybe some people would question the use of indigenous to describe the people of Wales and the people of Anglesey. But let's look at what's happened to the indigenous peoples in North America, for example. Now, people say the biggest uh, nuclear accidents in the USA was Three Mile Island. Incorrect. The biggest release of radioactive material uh, was from a place called uh, Church Rock, right? That was an uranium mine on the Navajo Dine land. Not talked about much. Just contaminated the water and the land there. You know the locals weren't told about it for days and days if not weeks. You still have problems with the contaminated water. You still have um, genetic defects in the kids. You still have illnesses there. You still have issues with livestock. And of course, you had the, the indigenous people working in the mines and what is perhaps crucial is that the safety standards applied to them were not as high as for the ordinary people. So there is an element of sometimes the nuclear industry has elements of them sort of built in colonialism into it, really, doesn't it? Similar thing you could apply to Niger in Africa as well. Um, and I'm sure if you looked in places like Siberia and Kazakhstan, you'd find similar stories. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty murky industry. The other thing which is irrelevant on uranium mining is that as the process goes on, by definition, the high quality ore becomes lesser and lesser. So you have to turf over more and more and more rocks, which obviously means more carbon into the the atmosphere, doesn't it? So, you know, all of these things are militating against, if you like, the environmentalists who say, yes, we need it uh, to address climate change. There are so many bad things about it. I mean, the mining industry in general, it, you know, there are issues and which have to be addressed in fairness about renewables in terms of things like the the, the rare metals that you require, you know, places like Bolivia and Congo and so on. And they, they do require addressing. I, I wouldn't try to run away from that one. But I think the Iranian one is, is the one that leaves a massive legacy of waste, which, which really hasn't been addressed historically, certainly in the USA, um, there are all sorts of abandoned mines all over the place, and you know they particularly affect the, the indigenous peoples, really.
0: Yeah, they will the, talk about the you know the, the fact that nuclear is, as you say, a global capitalist industry uh, a bit later. But what I find fascinating is about, as you said, almost the the relationship between you know the global North and the global south, and then when people are blithely arguing for the environmental low carbon credentials of nuclear, it's almost forgetting you know it's almost a type of commodity fetishism in the sense that it just like when we look at our mobile phones, you know, these things actually require lithium to be mined by, by and it's the same with nuclear and the people people who are arguing that it's clean. Well it actually, as you said Rob, it requires uranium to be mined um, in in the global south as a rule, by people in under you know quite risk, you know, risky exploitative conditions. Um, there is one thing before we move on so I guess back to the Welsh context and this is for you know the non-scientists is basically you know I guess what is nuclear power and so all the books we've been reading essentially says that nuclear is essentially just a very expensive kettle just like other forms of energy creation it's it's basically heating heating water to create electricity is that a good layman's overview?
3: Well yes you're the ultimate layman then Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I won't ask you how that's, that's delayed, in fact, but there we are. Yes, essentially, what you're doing is you're taking uranium, and you're having a reaction, which is a chain reaction, and by doing that, particularly nuclear fission, in other words, you're producing energy, which produces heat, which is used to heat water, produces steam, which turns turbines, and then produces electricity. As, as a little aside on that one, it's interesting to, to note that when you transmit electricity along power lines, you do. A considerable percentage as the distance increases. If Newport is so safe, why not build them near cities which use most electricity? Duh, because there's not many people around the north Wales and Anglesey. Yeah. Yeah, it's
0: just, Ang- <laughs>
3: it's just Anglesey, isn't it. So it doesn't. No, no one cares. Yes, I mean, you know, short of declaring UDI and. Uh, Banning everything and everybody, I'm not sure what we can do really. But, but it is true that the you know it's it's this transmission of electricity that is the issue, isn't it really? And that is even more so about things like these small modular reactors that we're like, we'll move on to later on.
0: Go back to the Welsh context. I'm going to shamelessly plug the article that you you helped me with that's coming out in Planet soon. But one of the most interesting things for me was to sort of trace the how the argument and sort of paradigm has shifted because if you look at you know the 80s in the UK. All Labour politicians, Plaid like Cymru, everyone was in CND. Obviously, you had the you know the spectre of nuclear holocaust hanging over people. People were basically scared of nuclear, and 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 by extension, they were uh, eventually did spill over into um, concerns about civil nuclear power. You know, even though even if people didn't necessarily see the, the link between the military industrial complex and civil nuclear power, as you've pointed out, you know the. the there is an obvious link. We'll get to that in a sec. And even after devolution, even in the devolution era, Roderick Morgan in Wales is, you know, he's anti nuclear. He, he's, he's quite um, vehemently against Wilbur B, saying we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket. You've got the late, great Paul Flynn, was obviously very vocal in condemning nuclear, saying it was a financial basket case and so on. And then, as you said in the introduction, Rob, one of the, the catalysts is our. Our great friend Tony Blair, another destructive legacy. That in so Blair gets elected in 1997 on a all renewables ticket. You know this is this is what people forget. You know he comes to power promising no nuclear energy, and then in 2003 or you know between there's a period between 2003 2006, basically following the Iraq War. You know when obviously Blair and New Labour become completely sewn into the British military industrial complex that he all of a sudden has this energy review. Um, which which so is and he turns and he starts saying, "Oh, we're gonna, we need nuclear as part of the energy mix." Now you linked me to the research by Sussex University. I can't remember the the guy's name who did the research, but it was fascinating to to basically argue that this was was only rooted in yeah,
3: it's Sandy Sterling Johnston, actually. though.
0: Really yeah. So, so it was only yeah you know, this U turn by Blair could only be rooted in the the military-industrial complex and the need to keep creating plutonium. I think what you said earlier about the imperialism element, that's definitely sort of a seam that runs through Blair as well as his sort of weird messiah complex. But then it's interesting to come back to Wales because by the time Roger Morgan leaves in 2009, there's already been a massive paradigm shift. You know, all the candidates to replace Roger Morgan, I think it was Jane Hutt, Carwin Jones eventually gets it, That's and who, was it Who, Lewis? The one, they were all nuclear. Yeah,
3: you have a better memory for me in the politicians than I do.
0: And uh, and Jones, and and I think it was crucially as well as it Yainwyn Jones, who was was it the joint first minister as part of the Labour-Plaid One Wales coalition? You know, he's actually he he's probably the first played politician really to become almost come out for for, nu- for the nuclear industry, and that then signals a sea change in plight as well, at least within Gwynedd and Anglesey. So I was wondering if you could say a bit about how, you know the paradigm shift and how it sort of started again in Wales.
3: I think it's, uh, it's a pretty murky and sad story, really, when you think about it, isn't it? because I'm sure you'll you probably remember a time when, you know... Virtually every, lo- nucle- uh, every local authority in Wales declared themselves to be nuclear-free. And if it was a nuclear-free Wales, in fact, wasn't it, if you remember? Um, the Nuclear-Free Local Authority uh, organisation still exists. It's based uh, in Manchester. There are councils affiliated all over the UK and, and also in Ireland as well, the Republic. But the Welsh ones have, you know, diminished really. You know, it used to include Wiener, for example. They sort of, cited claims that it was too costly to subscribe. But um, I think that what we have is one of these sad and unfortunate consequences of, you know, our great, uh, one of the great things which should be working for us, having been taken in, if you like, by the military industrial complex. And this is the trade union movement, unfortunately, or parts of it anyway, because what you're getting is, the unions supporting nuclear, as they support the military complex, people for the purpose of jobs. Now, you know, when you think, look at things like Luca's plan, which is about defence diversification. In other words, to you know, move people, if you like, using their skills from producing arms to producing things that actually are useful and actually beneficial towards life. The same argument is completely true about nuclear, really, isn't it? There are more jobs in green energy than in nuclear energy and there certainly will be in the future. The challenge is to make those jobs properly paid and properly unionised. The challenge is also to make that industry one that is owned as much as possible by local people or even by the or even by, you know, Welsh government or the UK government, however it works, or even by councils, there are all sorts of limitations possible. What you want to avoid is a situation such as you have in scotland which is in many ways uh leading the way with renewable energy and you know is to be loaded for that but where you have a situation where there's a massive wind farm out uh off the coast you have the bifab uh fabrication yeah to you know produce the windmills and yet the contracts have been awarded by edf to companies uh, in the Middle and the Far East, so those are, the, those are the precise things that you want to avoid, and that is where you know strong unions come into it really. So I don't know if that's a, something that you would uh, understand, well, parts at least of the pressures. I think that the Welsh Labour certainly would have come in there in terms of applied Cymru. What I think you've what we've seen, I think, is the local short-term electoral desire. Taking precedence over longer-term benefits to the whole of Wales. If you're in Plight for a, you know, you, you are in favour of independence of Wales. So who picks up the tab for nuclear? If you build Wilver, pick, who picks up the tab for waste for all sorts of stuff? Do you think do you think Westminster is going to let them off the hook? Of course it's not. You know, uh, I mean Adam Price, the current leader in his campaign when he was getting elected as leader, he says. Almost as an addendum to his the other stuff, he says, "Well, I don't think Wilbur should should go ahead on economic grounds because it would be a millstone around the neck of an economic world." He didn't actually come out and say, "I don't want nuclear for the other, all the other reasons," and that is why earlier when I was saying that we've had the, you know, contracting of the debate, th- that is what I mean by that kind of stuff. We, we we've had very little in terms of other factors why nuclear is bad you know really so i think the way that the welsh establishment political establishment i would include in that the welsh media to a large extent they've sort of bought into the whole narrative i think haven't they because of the economic desperation in wales it is another native american saying for you the hungry man eats with wolf yeah so If if, if you're in a position where you're desperate for any kind of solution, then then you go along with these things, I'm afraid. And that is a deliberate policy of neglect, if you like, because appropriate industries aren't developed or they're suppressed or they aren't given proper support. And also, there, there is an ignoring of the fact that you do have indigenous industries which are useful and which do contribute greatly, which are actually put at risk by some of these big developments you know whether it's nuclear or whether it's any massive industrial development for that matter so there are all sorts of factors at play here but but it boils down to a lack of confidence in the Wel the welsh people in general uh, as a sort of subservient attitude from cardiff to london which i think we've seen ever since devolution kicked in to be honest with you and the kind of deference to a deference to the nuclear lobby because it's it's permeates everywhere you've got have people sort of seconded to it was the patent of Energy so the B-E-I-S now is it uh, Business Energy etc etc industrial strategy when we were in, out in Japan there was a guy who was Yoshi was translating for us and you know they, they were very much aware of this kind of stuff going on globally you know the nuclear village revolving doors it's, it's all the kind of stuff that is not open if you like to community based stuff isn't it really because you know I'm sure if you looked at how many, if you like, meetings Welsh government, UK government have had with nuclear industry and compared with that, with how many of the meetings they've had with renewables, there would be a massive imbalance, for example.
0: It's a zero-sum game with a limited amount of money. If you're putting all your money into one very risky uh, energy source, it means that you're not, giving it, you're not exploring other options. In terms of played as well, Rob, I mean, I don't want to hammer play because they're not in power... But call it the nuclear compromise, don't they, being formally against, formally against nuclear on a national level and then basically for nuclear in Anglesey and in Gwynedd. What I find fascinating about that is one of the things what you said is that, you know, who's going to pay for it? It essentially makes an independent Wales almost impossible in terms of the financial cost of cleaning up nuclear or picking up the bill. So, you know, you're not going to be in control of your energy because nuclear lends itself to, to monopoly. So... Anyway, that's, that's that's by the way. But one of the fascinating things about Anglesey and nuclear and Plaid and how they've become sort of implicated in the nu- nuclear industrial complex is the fact that nuclear has historically had a massively negative impact on the Welsh language and culture in North Wales, which is, you know, one of the, the remaining strongholds of the Welsh language. And I think it was your perhaps your evidence to the, the Welsh Affairs Committee when you said about when the original will came in, the negative effect that had on the, the language locally, and it's just interesting to see how Plymouth square this circle of on the one hand wanting to defend Welsh language communities, and on the other hand welcoming an industry which is going to probably bring with it massive acculturation and a further decline of the language. Right, well, well, mitigate that by sponsoring the i and things like that, but it's a it's a contradiction, isn't it? Reduce the
3: word mitigation, which is the that Horizon used and the council kept on using mitigation presupposes harm Yeah. yeah. so to go back to the original wilver the area of Kemes, which is the village nearest to it the, the language of the primary school changed virtually overnight from mainly Welsh to mainly English to the extent that nowadays it seems that there's only a handful of kids from Welsh speaking homes you know go to that primary school I think it's Particularly pertinent for Plaid, in that the aim of Plaid is to appeal to people who would not naturally vote for them, and to take for granted people who would vote for them on a natural, if you like, patriotic, fuzzy kind of way, if you like. Yeah. So I think you probably, if you asked a lot of Plaid members, they would be against it, but wouldn't say out loud because it might harm the electoral chances of Plaid. You know, I don't know whether the likes of Ian Jones deep down want nuclear or not, but he's written that particular bandwagon he can't jump off it na- anymore now. You know, I mean, obviously he was also, after he retired from politics, went to the Minae um, Scientific Spark, which is an offshoot of Bangor University, which is driven by nuclear. But I think to go back to the Welsh language, Def, it seems crazy in a way that you have an influx of thousands of. Workers, albeit on a temporary basis, something going to stay. You're going to have an influx of other people who are there permanently. At the end of the day, it's almost as if to say this is the, the only game in town. You know, it's 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 almost the, the it's the argument is almost presented. Well, if we don't have this, we're stuffed. There's nothing. There's nothing else. And that really is one of our main critiques of what has not been done. In other words, we argued at the time of thing developments of things like the local development plan. That there didn't appear to be a plan B other than will it will come? It'll solve most of the economic woes and it'll sort of drag in all sorts of other investments in supply chain and sort of people spending locally, etc. 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 We asked the question for several years what if it doesn't happen? Have you what's he preparing? The answer came there, none. Now, as you know, you have things like the North Wales growth bid, um, you have the current infrastructure plan, which was governments are proposing. I see no real evidence that Plaid is dissociating itself from from those in particular, because they have become part of that game of relying relying on this outside investments. And because that is the mindset, unfortunately, that you have. I think there is a, a massive, you know, the nature of Plaid Cymru means that it's not, it's going to be a broad church anyway. We understand that. Um, but the, the truth is that you have, you know, the senior people in the Northwest, which would be Yenmin Jones, which would be Rhina Piorwit, which would be David Whitney, which would be Elvin Fluid, which would be Liz Savage Roberts, all come out in favor of nuclear, really. Whereas the people who we, we perceive to be either against nuclear or skeptical choose not to say anything much, or they become you know, active in things like, oh, we don't want pylons across the island because of, say, environmental reasons or because it doesn't look good. You know, th- that, those are side issues which 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 sort of pandered, if you like, to activism, if you like. And also, of course, what you get is they're drawn into the knock-on effects on nuclear. You get the proposal for a third bridge across the Menai Straits, for example, driven by Wilver. yeah? You know, Prina is pushing for it uh Canscate's recently admitted? Well, you know, it was a little bit that was the main driver, and the, one of the reasons. Well, we're still pushing for it, but what, you know, one of the main things we're we'll making economic case has gone. Now, it seems to me that in this day and age, why our politicians in general, and unfortunately we have to include Plaid Cymru in this and Welsh Labour in this, why are you still looking at things like, if you like, a third crossing, which goes against everything, which is good about doing good things for the environment why do you have a future you know well being a future generations act when actually what you're doing is going against every kind of good intention in that
0: one of the things i was struck by rob when we talked we have talked about this before and you did you have obviously alluded to it is yes nuclear is a global capitalist enterprise with loads of different links of the chain whales being just one of them what I find fascinating and probably the most grubby and probably uniquely Welsh bit of it is, I guess, what I would call like the local nuclear lobby. And you've got the creation, I think, in 2010, by Harwin Jones of the Anglesey Energy Island Partnership. You've got the Snowdonia Enterprise Zone. You've got the media. And you've got all these sort of local politicians and nuclear loyalists working together to lobby the Welsh government, to sort of lobby... to to make this happen. People have invested huge amounts of money into it. And as you said, you know, Horizon have funded courses in Carligmeni. They funded apprenticeships. They funded an entire uh, new department and course in Bang University. They've put their tentacles incredibly deep into North Wales, which is what they always have to do. Nuclear does this everywhere in the world because, you know, people are, shock horror, scared of being... Dying in a nuclear holocaust. They've always got to have, one of the biggest things that you find with nuclear is, is lobbying. You know, they always have to lobby. But I thought they've done it very well because they've always had local Welsh speaking people who they've been able to co-opt and just say, "Go on, you be our public face of Horizon, and you go and do the public relations for us." And the people who are driving it, you'll see. You know, it's easy for us to say, "I, oh, you know," of and of course it is global capitalism, and it's the Welsh government and and so on but it is also local people you know it's when we talk about like the man and the establishment it's often you know the councillor lives down the road from you that's making these decisions as well i i just find this sort of nexus between the local political elites and you know this, this, global, this global sort of capitalist giant to be quite interesting
3: i think that um whether he actually said it or not but it's, it's been attributed to him einstein said well First, the real sign of madness is if something doesn't work the first time, you try it again and again. Now, nuclear has been tried in North Wales as a, you know, solution to economic woes, and yet we are still one of the poorest regions in Europe, apparently. So, but why try the same thing? You're quite right. It is a pervasive influence of the nuclear lobby. You have, you know, the likes of Johnny Druce Jones, first-class chap clever clever man and everything but he's sort of and a lifelong nuclear employee with Magnox who's latterly resurfaced as a director of more Ice the renewable energy but he is the chairman of the Snowdonia Enterprise Zone for example so he's plugging away at an SMR small modular reactor in Trausfynnydd the Snowdonia Enterprise Zone is made up of the sites of Trausfynnydd and the site of Llanbedr airfield Flandre Airfield has been subsidized to the tune of half a million uh, of had pressed Gwynedd Rates money to act as a sort of seed funding to get access European funding to develop that airfield as a uh, airfield to do research, etc., on drones and drones that would tie in with Aberporth and have the uh, flying area over there. If you look at Snowdonia Aerospace, who actually manage the place, you will. You, see that their clients are British uh, BAE systems, Thales, the French industry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's that big military thing. So if you look at Snowdonian Enterprise, so board members, will you find um, representatives of green energy and community enterprises? I don't think so. So essentially, if you appoint people to these places, of course, they're going to plug the other things, aren't they? To go back to the Energy Island concept, well, that was always, always about nuclear. It was just it was just the front, really. It's just, it's just and it's, it's in, the, in the same way as they say, oh, we promote uh, low carbon energy. That is sort of, um, you know, new speak for nuclear, really, isn't it? Because th- th- that's what they do. I think the Nadir, if I may say so, are the whole of the whole process in terms of a, a visual was that, as you re- referred um, Dan, Horizon virtually made the Istedward uh, government Lethal National Istedward in Bodeddon an on Anglesey in 2017, almost a corporate event. It so happened that their corporate colours are virtually the same as the Istedward. So it, it seemed as, and the banners were everywhere, their uh, massive pavilion was next door to the Anglesey County Council. Yeah. And, of course, they held these little events in their in their uh, pavilion and in the science tents and so on. And one of the most bizarre features was uh, uh, seeing a local folk dancing on Swambler, performing there, you know, as if they were, you know, reservation Indians, really. And lo and behold, who was a part of the group was our friend, Johnny Tristone. So you, you get this business of, oh, my goodness me, that was so embarrassing. And I think that that's also... It, crystallises the way that the Welsh establishments have been happy to go along with nuclear if they pay for the things. They're quite happy to accept the money as, as backers of all these things, aren't they? It was actually quite uh, ironic that when they was in Cardiff, one of the main winners of the Literary Prize was uh, Manon Stefan Ross who wrote a novel, Glass Nebo, which uh, the, the premise was that something had gone on in nuclear, and it was a post-nuclear apocalypse. So that was one in the eye for them, as they say. But I, th- I think that, in general terms, the cultural, the cultural stuff, um, if you like, from mainstream cultural establishments, has been accept, you know, if not endorsement, at least acceptance of the uh, corporate goodies from Horizon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You also have people brought on to various bodies like, oh, to look at effects on one's language. So you, you have some, I'm sure, well-meaning people who sort of are put there and you think, well, really, you know, you're missing, you know, you're missing the bigger picture here. You say about how these fingers of nuclear get into everywhere, if you look at this, uh, as you refer to the educational establishments, you know, they had, a, they poached actually a teacher from, I think it was David Hill School in Manebridge to become their education officer. She's unfortunately no redundant to provide sort of training modules and stuff like this, you know. So you, you get this sort of undercurrent of nuclear being pushed all the time. You know, the, the, you have the whole generation of kids reared, if you like, on the promise of jobs. You know, doing apprenticeships, you'll you have great jobs, you'll have jobs for life. It'll be etc. 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 On the back of that, you have um, investment at. Uh, Koleg Menai's campus in Llangevny, but also it permeates the whole establishment there you have a big complex belt. You know, admittedly, a lot of the skills there are generic engineering skills, but the presupposition is for Wilbur. So riding on the back of nuclear, you have these, if you like, bureaucratic empires built, which are almost self-perpetuating, aren't they? You know, the the challenge, obviously, is to use those facilities, which are still there, you know, to produce the generation of people... Work in renewable energy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you move on to the next stage of the education, you're looking at Bangor University. You know the previous vice chancellor John Hughes was, you know, he was pretty heavily involved in nuclear, promoting things like the Nuclear Northwest Nuclear Arc, which ties into the Northern Powerhouse, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Hosting things like uh, you know boiling water reactor conferences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I uh, referred earlier to the Menes Science Park, now, uh, now sort of catchily called Enspark, which was set up and initially led by Eadamon Jones, you know, as a place for industries, including nuclear, to have a toehold. So it, it, it's, all, it's all become part of the fabric, if you like. And I think also what, what we need to be aware of, and I don't know if it's the same down where you live, um, but there is this business of not wanting to give offence. Say, say if I know, you have a friend or a relationship or even a second-hand relation or a friend that works in the industry in some way, you tend not to say much. If the industry has you know, sponsored your kids' football team or whatever it is, or your local primary school, whatever it is, it, it creates a, a climate of silence and acceptance, doesn't it? So I think that any large industry which is too large for the economy in which it finds itself for the local economy that's that would be about i would say it would be a bad thing if it was you know a massive factory producing lemonade but producing uh, but employing 850 people it would still be a bad thing in in that in that it it doesn't produce good uh, civic society
0: but it, it happens in local military cultures in that you know one person works in the plant is, you know then obviously you've got the family that person is supported by the nuclear plant and then their friends and the community and then people will as you said develop a loyalty to the technology uh, and as you said people will people won't speak out about it and so on. There's an amazing article back in the 70s or 80s in Ireland and it's a really it's in antipode and it's written in this really amazing sardonic fashion by this geographer who says next year the government of ireland are going to commission a review of ireland's energy needs you know it will find you know that mm. ireland needs nuclear and just like all reviews and boards sponsored by government you know when i first read one of your bits of evidence to the welsh was it the park welsh welsh affairs committee on on the b you know it doesn't matter how many scientists and people they get on to say that this is a risky technology, they will always, always privilege the voice of Anglesey Energy Island Partnership, the Welsh Government, the CBI, over the experts they get on, because it's, it's always a whitewash. I mean, you we're discussing, like, um, the kind of uh, assimilation
1: that the nuclear industry does on a local level. I mean, this, this came at the expense, uh, you were saying, before we started recording, uh, the... Um, Ex Japanese Prime Minister, uh, off the top of my head, because uh, I've got uh, you know a really good memory for uh, Japan's political system. It was his name, Naoto Kan. And the, yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. and the, you well, know, good he,
3: knowledge,
1: nice. yeah, <laughs> I know. Just, just committed. I knew, I
0: knew
1: it would come in handy yeah. one day. But um, you know, he was someone, as you were saying, that kind of um, was really pro-nuclear. So after the devastation of Fukushima, he kind of completely did a 180 and almost did, like, cautionary tour to, to North Wales. Yes, he's, he's
3: actually he's virtually a, well, I'm sure you're more familiar with the Bible than I am, Dan, but it's the Damascene conversion, you know, yeah, so, that so. kind of stuff, really. So, yes, he's it's interesting, to be honest, how this came about. Uh, my good friend, Carl Klaus, who's... Um, you know he's he's the he's the number one guy who looks as if he's in the establishment, but he's completely subverting it all, all his life, really. But he's he he's sort of set up things like that's good thing. And, uh, he was a pioneer with uh, community stuff in Clanelhid and so on. But uh, he's joined us in power when he, Kian, his son Kian Kiaran from Superfury and himself went out to Japan um, on private visit to start with him. and subsequently he went out with. Welsh delegation with the Green Cross. And cutting a long story short, he managed to wangle it somehow or other that Nooto O'Khan came over to Wales and alongside refugees from Fukushima. So that, that was in 2015. I think it's interesting to note how that was not dealt with, if you like, by the powers that be in Wales, by the media and so on. You would have thought that this was a man, you know, this was a major story, you know, and, and worthy of proper interview and, you know, proper platform. Obviously, we had to push from our end, from power, so that he could get in to talk to the local council. Eventually, he was allowed to talk to the, you know, the whole council. But there were vices within the council who to sort of just have him talking to three or four councillors, you know, the sort of cabinet members within a small room. That That shows you the sort of ridiculous mentality that you have, doesn't it, really? You have a world a figure on the world stage, and some local non-entity try, tries to shut him up in a little room like that. We had, um, you know, good turnout there. What was interesting when he did turn out was that, you know, we had people from all over Britain coming to support us. We had uh, a packed-out meeting in a hotel. Must have been about 300 people there. We had, had to shut people out. Really, we had him going in the in the Land Rover with Richard Jones Cardego, which we might be able to touch on later. Um Richard Jones and his family, Gwenda and the children, they refused to sell to, to Horizons, refused to sell land, you know, despite all sorts of bullying and threats and this, that, and the other. So Noto Khan actually went there and there's a there's a very famous picture of Noto Khan in the house with four generations of that family. So this man Noto Khan, he's come over he's come over that with, with Some people have been affected by the thing. Um, You know, a lady there was um, running a kind of refugee centre. You know, it was, was, yeah, it was powerful stuff, touching stuff. And you think, why aren't the politicians really paying more attention? Why aren't they actually coming to listen to this man properly? You know, he did go down to, he was allowed to address a sort of fringe meeting in the Senate. So we had a bit of coverage there. But I, I think in general terms, you think, well, It was seen as a kind, you know, Horizon weren't keen on it, obviously because it did embarrass them a bit, but it was almost seen by the establishment as an an embarrassing interlude rather than a positive contribution to actually, you know, the future well-being of generations, which obviously legislated for, supposedly. So that was interesting. It so happens that, and, and, and I think the other thing that's very, very interesting on the whole Japanese connection is this, that we have had, Unbelievably strong support from Friends of the Earth Japan. Uh, There's a young lady called Ayumi and her uh, boss Kana, fantastic activists. You know, you you couldn't ask more. I mean, she's been over at least three times, I think, backing us up. So at the end of that, we had an invitation to go to Japan. But if you consider the contrast between support we had from. You know, a non-government organisation, Friends of the Earth in Japan, with support we haven't had from big NGOs in the UK. I mean, Greenpeace have, in fairness, done a fair bit, and they've done a lot behind the scenes and so on. We've had virtually nothing from the National Trust, muted stuff from Friends of the Earth in Wales. You know, apart from when it was all cancelled and then they said that's fine. You don't th- you don't feel that they've been up in arms about this type stuff. You know, they've 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 been there in terms of oh have to talk to Horizon We'll see what how we can mitigate the damage and so on uh, say the North Wales Naturalist Trust you know they do a great job looking after the Tern colony and so on which is great and that was a bit of a stumbling block for, for, for the whole Horizon development but you just feel well yeah we're not having the sort of full-blooded civic opposition that you would like really to go back to the Japanese visit we had let's see now down here we were there in 2018 uh, towards the end of May, they'd set up meetings for us with all sorts of people with, uh, you know, activist groups, with people being affected by Fukushima, we Went actually went to see Fukushima. Uh, we were given permission to talk to the foreign ministry to NEXI, uh, which is a kind of um, equivalent to Lloyd London, if you like, which guarantees folding projects, Japanese Bank for International Cooperation. The only people who refused to see us was Itachi. Contrast that to when a delegation from Anglesey Council went along with Albert Owen, who was the MP at the Labour MP at the time for Anglesey, Trina with the assembly member at the time. They went to Japan, met Itachi. Did they go to Fukushima? No. Right. And, the, and, the, and the politician's trip was paid for by Hitachi, apparently. The council, in fairness, I understand that the tr- council treasurer insisted that the council pay for that. So, if people are meant to represent us, meant to represent everybody, they're meant to look at both sides of the question, aren't they? Rather than sort of saying with a half smile on the face, oh, we respect the, the fact that there are anti nuclear views. It's their job to introduce a proper debate, it's their job to lead that debate. It's not their job to close down the debate and I put it in very simplistic terms of jobs only
1: I was just wondering um are you saying you got more support from japanese anti nuclear campaigners uh, compared to you know in Britain? do you think that's down to perhaps like uh, japan's like close history with um destructive nature like you know, nuclear power and obviously with Hiroshima and Nagasaki
3: i'm sure that is uh, does play a large part in it. I refer to Ayumi who was you know, our main contact, and self was helped us all along. Her grandparents were actually survivors of Nagasaki. So mm, realize, no way, yeah, which we didn't realise for a while. And she, she, interestingly enough, said, I didn't really make the connection particularly between that and nuclear until Fukushima happened. And then I decided, right, this is it. Then I've got to really push this and work flat out against it. So you do have all sorts of anti-nuclear uh, groups in Japan. We we gave a talk in Osaka uh, to a group and apparently there were representatives of about 12 different groups there listening to us, you know, uh, so that was, that was interesting. The other interesting thing was that we had our Andy Warhol's 15 minutes of fame in Tokyo in that there was one day in particular where there was, you know, a lot of interest from the media and we were asked questions such as why do you think the UK wants to import a technology which has failed us so badly? Why do why why do you think they want to destroy all this beautiful landscape that you have got over there? What what is what is it that you think is so important that you get this investment? Those are never questions we have at all. No, the
0: no. the media are obviously complicit here as well, Rob. Um, it's exactly. obvi- I mean, obviously nuclear is one, obviously glare and symptom. But if you look at almost every any of the white elephant silver bullet schemes of have happened and failed or been, you know, sort of uh, abandoned halfway through in Wales. There's been zero criticism or critical voices from the media. They act purely as a PR arm of the government or these companies, just regurgitating press releases. What I thought was interesting about the Japanese prime Minister, ex-Prime Minister's visit was that Carwin Jones, who's probably the most arrogant man, I mean, he just said, well, there's it, nothing to worry about because we don't have tsunamis in Wales, so it's perfectly fine. <laughs> And a lot of people have said to me on, you know, on Twitter and things, well, you're an idiot because sea levels aren't going to rise high enough to affect it. I mean, and, I, and obviously I'm not an expert on how high sea levels are going to rise, but I guess the issue is with climate change, we don't know what's going to happen. That's surely that's surely one of the issues. And you're putting it on a, a massive nuclear plant on an island on a beach.
3: I think making the point about rising sea levels is relevant to low-lying sites like Bradwell and Sizewell may not be so relevant to Wilver. However, my repost or my answer to those that kind of viewpoint is this. You cannot design for things which haven't, occurred, haven't even been invented yet so which haven't occurred yet. For yeah. example, when the first generation of power stations, which would include Wilver and Trausmanid, uh, were designed and built, was there such a thing as an internet and computer hacking? No. Was there such a thing as the kind of terrorism which we've become accustomed to, in terms of, you know, suicide bombers? No. Had drones been invented? No. So by the by the same token, you can, if you like, design, if you like, things to try and defend against those things. Now, but who's to know what might develop in the future? So you know that that's that's uh, that's pretty basic, really. It's a bit like saying. You know, if something goes wrong with, shall we say, a reservoir burst, you're going to have a tragedy of killing some people. If something goes wrong with nuclear, you don't know when where it ends you really. And and that is one of the things that I really took home from Fukushima. And we also had the first meet, one of the first meetings we had when we were over there, addressing a citizens group. There was a representative of a farmers group there, and he says, "We will come over to Wales." And I thought, yes, I'm sure at some point you will. But he, he did. You know, he arranged it to him and a colleague of his, along with uh, a journalist from Fukushima. Again, we struggled to get attention from the press. You know, I we, we, we managed to get Svelsi's uh, fermio to be interested and did a piece there. But, you know, these people were there. They were saying, our lives are completely shattered. We can't go to see our own houses. We can't go to see where our ancestors are buried, because that's a big thing there. And when we were there, you could actually see the impact of all these places. You could see where they'd scrape the earth away because they scraped the earth away to a depth of, you know, several inches, the topsoil, put it in these bags. And they're just lying there. So what do you do with the land? But the point is you cannot decontaminate the hills and the forests and so on. So it's as if you were to say, oh, you can go for a walk, but don't go into the woods, you know, because there's a big thing there not to collect mushrooms and berries as well, as well as the actual fact that you get, um, you know, radioactive material there. The other thing I think that is pretty significant when you actually get there is to grasp the level of fear of uncertainty, because you have these areas which are cold and off, you know, I mean, I might be here and supposedly safe, you might be a few yards away and supposedly radioactive and you can't go there, but in the supposedly safe areas, they have these um, sort of official monitor things. However, you know, private citizens have actually been taking measurements and they, they find there are hot spots in the supposedly safe areas as well. So one of the cultural things which was interesting was that we were in Osaka, which is a couple of hundred miles away from Fukushima at one point, went into a big department store and they were actually selling sort of things to measure radioactivity there. So in other words, it was part of the Japanese psyche. Too. The other thing that was interesting as well is that we met, or uh, uh, some fantastic people who, you know, were actually producing stuff to, re- if you like, warn the rest of the world. They had, you know, they produce stuff like, you know, ten lessons from Fukushima, which is a, what sounds page booklet, and you know, they 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 have headings, and it's not just, you know, over here in the West, in particular, you know, with sort of if you like the reduction of political debates to sort of sound bites of pro- possibly anything less than ten words, usually these days. You know, you know, over there, we found there was a culture of actually wanting to listen and have proper debates. When we were talking, for example, we thought people were sleeping, but they were actually concentrating. And that's what they do there. Or they may be sleeping, but <laughs> they were talking, who knows. So, so, so you know, for example, this booklet, they have things like Do Not Be Fooled by the Nuclear Power Safe Propaganda. During the emergency, the basic premises run away. Access to information and leaving records uh, is vital. People affected by the disaster have the right to a comprehensive health survey and disclosure of information. Have any of those things been discussed over here? Of course they haven't. You know, is there a proper emergency plan? Of course there isn't. You know, no. what do they do? They tell you to stay in the house, etc., etc.
0: you know? And also, you know, Fukushima happened, you know, a disaster which devastated one of, if not the most advanced capitalist economies in the world. You know, the Welsh government can't do anything right. You know, we're probably the most incompetent government in the world. And, and just like in, but just like in during the Cold War, when Wales actually... Not a lot of people know this. You know, Wales was unusually affected by fallout from the radioactive cloud that came over from Chernobyl. And I think you know it was there were limits put on Welsh oh, well, for well, two thousand or something, Rob, something like that. Um,
3: it was on for several years, and you had the system for several years that you had to actually, you know take lands from the uplands and take them down to the lowland for a certain period of time. Yeah, years, yeah. That, that kind of stuff. So. Did have a major effect, and you would have thought it's like Trossingen, the more places, where the things were affected, that people would have thought about that. What is interesting, I think, is that the anecdotal stuff you have about cancers in local people, yeah, on Anglesey, but especially I would say uh, in the Trossingen area, it's it's massive, you know, and and you do wonder about the essentially the lack of forethought in terms of recording cancers which occur in an area because. Say now you were to say, well, let, let, let's see how many cancers occur in, shall we say, see. well, people move in and out, don't they? You know, mm-hmm. some, you, know you have things like, oh, well, we haven't had a major leak. But you do, what you do have is bursts of release, you know, during normal operations, if you like. There's a scientist called Ian Fairley, who's pretty much an expert on low-level, attacks low-level radiation. It's a significant thing. It's not, it's not all about major incidents, if you like. It is about low-level things which nobody would ever be able to quantify pro- pro- properly, really. Um, and unfortunately, it's all about short-termism, isn't it, really? And, and you, you do wonder: Are these people who are pushing it, in terms of supposedly jobs, are they doing it for the local people, or are they doing it to, for their own careers? You know, who, who's actually benefiting from these? When they retire from politics, what, what, what kind of industries will be giving them jobs? You know, you've got to ask these questions, don't you?
1: I was going to say, like, uh, obviously throughout this conversation, you know, hitting at, like, not taking a threat of, you know, uh, nuclear power seriously. Do you you think this is, like, almost, like, excuse the pun, like, fallout of we're past the Cold War period, you know, like, during the 80s when you had the Protect and Survive campaign and, you know, on um, the BBC produced threads. And then uh, also, I think, when the wind blows and that, you know, it really kind of articulated the nuclear anxiety at the time. But now, I think... In a comparison to lately, um, in terms of uh, TV output reflecting nuclear culture, uh, the latest thing we've had is HBO and Sky's Chernobyl, which was more about uh, criticising the Soviet system and, like, mixed with body horror rather than the focus of it being on, like, the effects of um, nuclear fallout. Do you think that's something that's, you know, just because the Cold War's done or is it something that you think it's just finally settled into, like, a collective consciousness for everyone?
3: I think your point on on the um, dramatized version of Chernobyl is is interesting. One well, I didn't actually see it myself because I refused to, to subscribe to the Sky. But um, I think it is true to say that there is an element of familiarity breeds contempt, both in terms of you know a local industry and in Anglesey and in terms of the fears, if you like, of nuclear holocaust. I think that's on a global scale. I think the you know the, the way that Trump's pulled out of you know nuclear agreements and Iran deal falling through, that tightens the effect. I mean, there are, there are pundits who say that actually the, the risk is increasing all the time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other thing that uh, we, we really, really need to hammer home, and which apparently politicians who back these small modular reactors are completely ignoring, or I believe it's too, is the fact that by the very definition, if the idea is to, produce, you know, build a little reactor, next to, there's knows how many cities, not just here, but then to have an export market across the world. What is that going to be doing for proliferation and safety, isn't it? It's crazy. So yes, no, I I would agree that there is that element of normalizing, if you like, uh, and accepting nuclear. But if you take a step back and you think, what is its purpose or ostensible purpose? Its ostensible purpose is to produce energy cheaply. It's not cheap, we know that. There are massive risks, we know that. And yet people appear to be blind to that. And, and and there's there's this business of if the price is hidden in bills and so on, it's not seen as a direct cost to people, if you like. It's not as if people were saying, yeah. oh, we're going to put X percent on your income tax to pay for that. That's not what works with it, really. As, as in all of these grandiose schemes, really. I, I, I think the other thing is that, and I think it's maybe a philosophical point, that as a species we have evolved to perceive dangers that we can see, which we can smell, which we can taste, which we can touch. Nuclear has produced elements which never existed before. And therefore, you cannot see them, cannot smell them. It's, it's, it's out with, if you like, human evolution, isn't it? And therefore, the perception of danger is lessened. The only time it happens is if you have some major incident
0: just the scale of the horror as well i think it's so unimaginable mm. people it, it's all, it's almost harder for people to engage with because it's just so catastrophic and and you wouldn't even be talking about you know you'd be talking about anglesey becoming uninhabitable for, forever you know large swathes of wales just becoming mm. uninhabitable it was almost, you know the destruction of wales as as a nation huge potential deaths as you said, mutations. Yeah, and you said,
2: as you said, it's it's an un, it's an unknowable feature as well because nobody really knows the extent of the damage that Chernobyl did. You know, there's exactly. still reports of thyroid problems and all sorts. You know, across Eastern Europe, there's no, you know, it's so difficult to quantify these yeah. the, the health effects decades down the line. That is, we can't know. <laughs> it's an invisible threat. You know, is the point, isn't it? Exactly, yeah.
3: exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's if you if you compare that with say the, you know, the tobacco industry, which is Feel like a classic example of massive capitalism and lobbying and so on. Obviously, mm-hmm. they denied the, they denied the back of the effects for a long time, but you know, gen, you know, in, gradually all the evidence mounts up, and it's yeah. you can yeah. actually see it, can't you? There,
2: there was one more question I had, which was uh, about campaigning. You know, the success you've had with PAOB, uh, people against Wilberby, you know, attracting the uh, the ex, you know, Prime Minister of Japan over to, to you know to talk, even if it wasn't covered particularly well. In the media, there's no plans yet to build a nuclear, uh, you know, power station in South Wales, but you know there have been talks uh, about fracking, particularly in the area where I live. You know, obviously there's a moratorium on it at the moment, but you know we were worried recently, you know, with the, the, the latest deal with EniOs, you know, Jim Radcliffe's company, which are a huge petrochemical company that invest, you know, actively and you know pretty aggressively in favour of fracking. And whether, you know, the, there's going to need to be campaigns in in the coming years, you know, against um, those kinds of developments. So kind of a question really about the pragmatics of sort of building, you know, uh, popular support and a campaign. You know, how did you go about building it in the first place? And, you know, was it how did you build up popular support in the community? Well, I think it's
3: remarkable how rank amateurs can, <laughs> can do things, really.
2: Yeah, well, look at <laughs> Jessica's radio yeah. <here. laughs>
3: <laughs> But, but no, and seriously, though, I guess we've been lucky in that we've had what I consider to be very well engaged people, intelligent people, rational people from different backgrounds, Welsh speaking, non Welsh speaking, academic, non academic, of all sort of contributed to various aspects, if you like. And it may be that sometimes, the power, if you like, is the overarching we have, we don't have a hierarchy per se, you know, in that somebody says, oh, this happens or that happens or whatever, tend to try and, obviously we have to respond to things that the industry comes up with, but we also try and set some kind of agenda, which is, you know, why we had um, published, I think it was in 2013, I think it was, Manifesto morning a, a, a manifesto for Anglesey, which was largely the work of Carl Clause, which looked at potential different economic scenarios to generate employment on Anglesey, which, you know, it was it's a fairly substantial document, which of course was pooh-poohed by the powers that be. But nevertheless, it did set a, a different kind of agenda, if you like. What we're currently doing, and I, I'm working with people from Cadno, which is our sister organisation against the Trust, and also from people who are active in local community work particularly Brofestiniog, you know, which is an umbrella body for community and voluntary, which you, you have seen from the uh, local experience of their hospitality Then last week. We're working with people from different Ogwen who are, you know, have a hydro campaign. So what we're trying to do is we, you know, we perceive there's a need to broaden our base, if you like, to actually offer different economic alternatives. So I think we've always been at pains not to be nimbiists, if you like. In yeah, the sense yeah, that, yes, we yeah. don't want it in our backyard, but we'd rather have this in our backyard, if you like. Or we say, well, actually, we, are, we already have things here that we can build on, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that this business of... It is a difficult one because, you know, it's 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 one of these things that you have to campaign in spurts sometimes because you can't be sort of full on. You've mm-hmm. you got to be thinking, well, yes, it's always there. I mean, we, we have stuff like there's a kind of daily if you like um pre on nuclear headlines that comes in daily that we get and we can link into articles and so on that's a great asset and uh, we have you know formed links with uh nfla uh local authority nuclear free local authorities we've as as, as you as we've explained we've forged links overseas in japan we, we did have uh, it yeah. with germany actually when the germans were there as well so uh, we've got links with um, Stop Hinkley people, we work with C&D Cymru, so we work well we, are, we actually we work with Cymru a which is the Fellowship for Reconciliation which I'm a member of as well as it happens you know, I've uh, got so many badges I need a bigger hat um, <laughs> but you know the, the reason for, for working there particularly is because of the, well one is the GF stuff but also the SMR small modular reactor business and it's links with militarism you see so I think, I think you, you need to sort of you need to have different conversations with different people, really, and just keep plugging away and insist on. I, I think we've always tried to make it on the basis of facts and discussion of viewpoints, and not make it personal. You know, not saying oh, yeah. so and so is fatty, so and so saying something, or <laughs> so and so is so and so is. You know, you don't you don't do that. You know, <laughs> over that, but it's good lesson. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's it's fun, but, but you know, yeah, you can do it from the sidelines if you wish. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the other thing, to be honest with you, and you may think this is uh, sort of ridiculous in many ways, but I, I've always operated under the <laughs> assumption that somebody somewhere may be listening somewhere, or re- you know, which they probably aren't, but I think it, it focuses your mind on actually.
2: Yeah.
3: You can say serve if you like. Yeah.
2: Yes. I'm, yes, not being
3: yes. Diver- I'm not being diverted. You know, I know we make sort of little. Sides and jokes, and, and, and the other thing is, you, you you know, you take the issue seriously, but you don't take yourself all seriously. Which I mean, you're the prime example, gentlemen. Um, so. <laughs> 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 but but it's it's it is it's it is a case of just plugging away, and you know, that there's a room for yes, right, local press. It's not just about oh I'm upset, so I write a letter. It's about all sorts of stuff, isn't
2: it? Yeah, yeah, and and the press will always refract the the message anyway. You know, so it is. You know, it's about finding your own outlets, isn't it? But
3: but I think one of the things which I think we managed to achieve is to be perceived as the go-to people to talk to on on this particular subject. Mm.
2: Yeah. Mm. You
3: know, I think I think that's true of any any. You know, if you, whatever field you're in, really, if if you start, I don't know, or cowl against sort of uh,
4: drones or whatever,
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you need to be perceived as the, the the person who knows all about this stuff. You you, you know, I, I I have I have a belief in sort of being well well briefed, but but not but but to pull out the salient points. If you like, it's it's very tempting, and I think this is a trap that I've fallen into personally, and I guess campaigns tend to easily do is to almost bombard too many facts at people it's different in a kind of situation like tonight where we're exploring it at length and in depth but when you're in a kind of tv interview situation and you know they're going to select maybe a 20 30 second thing you, you, you yeah. sort of structure yeah. it in the way of saying well my answers i will structure as such as they can take whichever they want they choose to use you know um so that that's i think is a useful one I've introduced a tactic which may or may not be effective, I don't know, know, because S4C and Dr. Cummary come to us all the time, and sometimes the BBC, Wales, and ITV come to us as well. So I adapted the tactic over the past few years of saying, Right, I'm doing interviews in Welsh, use subtitles. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Because it draws attention, because people think, Oh, what's that? You know, Um, and they give it a bit more attention in some ways. Mm. And it also says to the I think, I think it's worth making the point to the media in Wales, actually, you know, this language belongs to all of Wales. It's not just the people who speak it. And the fact that people have been deprived of it for various reasons, um, it's right that they should see it and maybe make them perceive it as actually theirs as well. Yeah. You know, it, it may be a viewpoint that uh, some people would disagree with and say, what's this fellow doing? He can speak English, why doesn't he? You know? Uh, <laughs> I've taken lessons before tonight, by the way, in elocution.
0: Oh, okay. So, so, yeah,
3: not more, more, usually, you wouldn't be able to understand me with my English. <laughs> no, yeah. I
0: can attest to that. Yeah,
3: <laughs> but but, but I think that's you do what works for you, is what I'm saying, I suppose. Really. Mm-hmm. And you right. do what's comfortable for you, isn't
0: it? I want to just briefly reflect, for me, nuclear is interesting because it's like a microcosm of everything that's gone wrong with devolution and the, the new Welsh state, you know, because you think about, we all sort of think about what might have been, and And what we basically see is the Welsh Government and also the Welsh Nationalist Party becoming essentially willing subordinate partners in the global nuclear military industrial complex at a time where, for all their flaws, the Scottish Government, remember the SNP, have said no new nuclear plants. The biggest weakness of the socialist movement worldwide with the environmental movement for various reasons, and one of the stumbling blocks in the UK has always been nuclear, the fact that the Labour movement has always been pro, you know, these are... Good trade union, you know, good trade union jobs um, or whatever. Ignoring the fact that you know nuclear was boosted artificially by the Tories as a way of breaking the power of the miners in the 80s, and again ignoring the links to the nuclear industrial complex. And it also leads basically leads to leftists arguing for you know, the monopolisation of energy by capitalist companies, um, for the reduction of funding in green energy, you know, for an industry like nuclear, which is actually notoriously difficult for workers to strike and withdraw their labour because of the the dangers involved in it. So there's paradoxes are all over, and it's just I don't know. I mean, and the thing is with with Wales and all these constant claims by Welsh Labour, they're internationalist internationalist tradition. Plaid Cymru sort of claims to be internationalist, pacifists. Yet they're embracing you know the military industrial complex. You know, if Wales actually rejected yeah. nuclear, it would be a significant dent to the global nuclear industry because even though it's just one small link in the chain, it is nonetheless a global industry which depends on a lot of small different chains. So I, I, I guess I wanted to just, if you could just sum up by what, what are your predictions for the future, like in the immediate future and and what, but also what could we be and should we be doing?
3: What we've seen is that the future of Anglesey and to a large extent North Wales and by extension Welsh Government policy has been placed in the hands of a handful of people in a boardroom in Tokyo. And they decided to ditch, which has left, you know, egg big time on the faces of all the politicians and the ancillary bodies who sort of piled into it and who, let's face it, have made a nice living on the back of all of it. And include, you know, the educational establishment in that as well. What we should be doing next is really hammering our Welsh representative to say this this really is a bad idea. To that, te- to that end, as it happens, I'm going over with Cal Klaus to talk to the cross-party group of North Wales AMS next week, you know, sort of kindly to let us address them on sort of various things. So that's what one, one aspect. The, the, the other is to, you know, be aware that the nuclear industry doesn't give up mm-hmm. readily, um, yeah. neither, neither does the UK government. We expect in the next... Few months, if not a few weeks, some kind of announcement on the uh, and a new funding model, if you like, what they call the RAB model, which would, as I've referred earlier, move the risk from the companies and onto more onto us, if you like. And um, we're also expecting the granting what they call the development consent order for the will of a site. And remarkably, it means that a nuclear development could go ahead, even though it might not use the Hitachi technology, you know, which is bonkers to me it was it, that was meant to happen uh before the election it was deferred for six months on because you know more information not about the nuclear technology or anything but about the effects on bird life nature etc etc so th- those two things I, w- I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's announced pretty close together if not concurrently what we'll expect from horizon is which which is essentially a skeletal body now it doesn't employ the hundreds that it used to um, so they've only, only got some sort of front front men here, really, and a few people looking after the site. Essentially, our friends in Japan tell us there is no interest in the project to revive it from Itachi or in Japan. Um so they'll try and sell business on essentially and try to cut the losses because they've already written off two billion, you know, which is small change in the likes of yourself, then I know. Um but most people will count it like a lot of money. So they've written that off. So they'll obviously need to try if they can't recoup it. I think what we need to be on our guard against is that this business of a small modular reactor and just to, just as a, to recall that small isn't that small because the ones proposed to Trausvernid is only slightly smaller than the one that was there already. It's only small in comparison with these mega ones that they propose. So we need to keep on fighting on Trausvernid and also be watching out because they'll try and sneak one into um, Willow we as well. If the local people are happy to be used as guinea pigs and uh a place to develop a technology which has not even been developed properly yet on the pre on the you know the, and it's based essentially on the belief that you're gonna have massive orders for this new technology from all over the globe before you build your factory to produce the pre-built things which will make give you the economies supposedly to make it pay. You know that's not going to happen with the, with the prototypes which would be either in Cumbria, probably Sellafield or or in Wales. So those those are the, the the current major issues really. So one is that the government, in its lack of wisdom, throws massive money to re- resurrect the original massive project like which will B be was. And secondly that we watch against the small modular reactors. And I think there is room really to engage I think more widely than we have with people in the c- cities, not just in Wales, like Cardiff and Swansea, but you know some of the major cities in England to say, do you really want a nuclear place next door? If not, help us. And I think that we what we really need to do is make people understand that this isn't just a matter for Anglesey, it's not just a local issue it's not just a matter for Trust Limit, um, it's a matter for the whole of Wales and it's a matter for the whole of the future uh, direction of travel for uh, the energy energy industry and you know we have so much potential over here the narrative needs to change from we're against uh, some types of renewable energy because they've got the landscape, which is true, um, because it'll cover the place in pylons, which is true, to say, what kind of energy do, what do we actually need for our own needs? How should we do it commensurate with the size of Wales, commensurate with the benefits that we can have, the employment that we can have, um, the uses to which we can put that electricity, rather than to say, oh, we'll take a few crumbs, thank you, we own the cake, not just the crumbs.
0: Fantastic. thanks so much for joining us. Apologies once again for me uh, dragging my i up in blinder and uh, not being able to handle the technology on my own because I was, didn't have my mind, my minders. Um, <laughs> um, I was just wondering if there's anyone you wanted to give a shout out to, uh, or hello, or to start an argument with. Um, well, but, uh, well, I would like
3: like to say, you know, I hope my colleagues from PAL will be uh, listening in you know, on this one. They are I have to keep the name secret because you never know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and also our sister organisation Cadno uh, in Trousfynnyd uh, <laughs> and really I don't suppose that uh, our friends of Japan will listen but if, if they are, hello I, uh, Ayumi and Kano, great people Brilliant,
0: thank you Rob, Rob thanks so much Jonathan. it's been an absolute pleasure, come on any time hopefully we'll, we'll catch up in person again soon but yeah, thanks so much for coming on
3: You're welcome, my pleasure yeah. Arigato As we say in
0: damn song. Cheers. Bye Rob. What an awesome episode. Rob is an absolute hero of the national movement, just and also very handsome. Incredibly incredibly handsome and suave uh, man with uh, amazing hair. What products pretty, do you think he uses? Well, it was just really embarrassing because obviously Kieran and I are just like I bald just looking at him in the. Uh, in I know the, the, the Skype last video. guest as
2: well,
1: Tom Mills, yeah. fantastic hair. Did you ask him what shampoo
0: he uses? I reckon yeah, it's full
1: shampoo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll ask. We'll ask Rob. You to can clar- buy it from Superdrug. We'll ask Rob to clarify that. Um, but yeah, yeah, just yeah, just just an awesome, awesome guy, um, an inspiring activist, and also we'll be tweeting out some stuff, uh, some writings and or readings rather regarding nuclear power in Wales, the military-industrial complex, and so on. So, yeah, I guess it's time for the shout-outs. For me, I want to shout-out to Planet magazine, as ever. Emily is amazing, best editor in Planet is brilliant on... I've got an article coming out it? Uh, uh, on it uh, on nuclear capitalism in Wales, which you should read. But if you want to read it, you should subscribe to Planet because there really is nothing like it in Wales. It's the only sort of English-language publication that deals with with issues like nuclear you know, nuclear power or, and Brexit and class politics and energy and stuff like that. It's just fantastic. So um, you should definitely subscribe to it as well as subscribing to us, of course.
1: Yeah. Uh, my
0: shout outs this week are
1: to the film The Lighthouse, which uh, after I IMDB'd afterwards, I found out it was lo- loosely based on two um, Welsh lighthouse keepers. Oh, really? I can't say what happened to them because, okay. um, you know, you'll find out. Like, what happens in the film. Something um, something bad, I assume. No, it's just really chilled out. They have a nice time. They just keep the lighthouse going. Yeah. yeah. You um. know, which turns out to be a metaphor for themselves. Okay. Uh, also, oh, shout wait. out to the video game end of the gungeon. Beefs this week are uh, with my <laughs> nuclear anxiety, which uh, often gives me nightmares. Okay uh also yeah, you don't even talk about threads can you oh yeah so if, <laughs> if, if uh,
0: uh, it's pretty funny when you talk about threads you're actually emotional you?
1: oh yeah i w- just watched <laughs> clips about the other day and it's just horrific so um yeah we mentioned threads it's within almost the as
2: bad as going through a nuclear holocaust i would say yeah than watching yeah, that yeah. Film. i would say it's just almost i'd terrible. rather go through nuclear holocaust than <laughs> yeah. watch
1: threads again so shout out to that there's a book that was quite interesting i read over christmas it was um called the british nuclear culture mm. and how like throughout the years you know um obviously britain kind of reflected the ongoing nuclear uh developments and crisis with like a one-pointed peak in where this woman uh, and her husband they got so frightened of the prospect of being annihilated that they murdered oh, wait, oh there we are they murdered the three kids then both drowned themselves in the sea <coughs> Sounds like my kind of story. Wow. Well, yeah, really it was uplifting. good.
0: Thanks, Nate. Um, I should say as well, put def- pressure on ourselves to do it, we are going to start a mailing list. A mere three years after attempting it for the first time and me losing my temper because I don't, don't understand, understand technology. Computers. Uh, computers. But we're going to do a mailing list with uh, reading lists for each uh, episode. And we'll probably have to do, do it retrospectively as well and go back through the other episodes and uh, link some reading for them.
1: Can I also uh, just mention this as well, there's a really good documentary called Black Light uh, sorry, white like black rain, which is about um, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And in one of the bits, they do um, they take some of the victims to of or uh, the survivors of um, the bombing to America on like a bit of a uh, this is your life tour thing. Um, uh, no, honestly, right. Mm-hmm. And at one point, like <clears> as they they say, like these people like have been so horrifically scarred by the bombing that we're not going to show them on television. But, like, uh, thanks to the US of A, they're going to receive free plastic surgery. And uh, now we'd like to bring out another guest, Robert Lewis, who uh, was one of the pilots. Of no. The of the and then he let you bring him out. And he's just crying to this priest. <laughs> just, uh, this Japanese priest who's just like, yeah. I mean, you killed, like, a one million people. Like, <laughs> oh my God. I absolve you. I absol- yeah, you see, like, uh, it's this crass thing I've ever seen.
0: Okay, sounds yeah. good. Kieran, any shout outs yeah shout out for me to
1: William
2: T. Volman, who wrote Carbon Ideologies, two volume master work of like yeah. oral history and reportage. But the first yeah, I was reading the first um the first volume, No Immediate Danger, which is kind of about Fukushima and mm. the problems of uh, nuclear energy and yeah, it basically totally converted me to the idea that nuclear is like a horrific uh, source of energy and we definitely shouldn't be doing that. So yes yeah, with with luck, uh, beefs, just with myself really, I mean, I, I just, you know, <laughs> things are, uh, things aren't looking very good for me, um, I'm, you know, pretty down at the moment, don't have a job. Oh yeah, I mean, shout out to that dog! Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, the
1: dog I saw. Okay, yeah, okay, that's,
0: yeah, okay, well, that's I go great. the same boys, um, no, 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 just trying to reach no, out to no. really, uh, the, um, yeah. a little bit more on the dog here and just, I, just, uh, I forgot to say I had like red, a, red, he had like a red, he had like a red bandana a around his neck. Oh, maybe he was a socialist dog.
1: Yeah, I think he was
0: actually. I, um, I gave him like
1: a like socialist power salute and he uh, he barked twice at me.
0: I sh- I, I, yeah, shout out to that dog as well from me. Yeah, um,
1: I, I might actually go I'm back throughout talk. this episode no, and, re- and replace Kieran's
0: segments with what I think that dog would bark like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Rob. Um, remember to like and subscribe and to tell your friends about us. Um, go on our Patreon. Uh, I can't remember the address of Patreon, but you know, it's, it's on our Twitter. If anyone can check, like none of us are on Facebook. Like we think we have got like, a Facebook page that's still up and active. Yeah. We want to sort of keep it going, but we also hate Facebook. So, um, and if m- anyone
2: wants to volunteer to run to, it, to run <laughs> on the Facebook yeah. page, uh, yeah,
0: um, you have to be of sound mind and of sound politics, which rules us um, all out. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. All right.
1: Bye. See you. Cheers. Bye. Woof.
4: A warning may come quite unexpectedly. We will now tell you what to do if a warning sounds when you are at home. And then we will explain what to do if you are out of doors. First, if you are at home. If attack is imminent, you will hear the attack sound like this. So take cover at once, send your young children to the fallout room, then go quickly and turn off the gas and the electricity at the mains. Close down stoves, damp down fires, shut windows, and draw curtains. Then go to your fallout room and stay there. If the fallout warning sounds are heard, they will be like these. You should now move yourself and your family to the safest area in your fallout room. That is, you should get inside your inner refuge and stay there. After two days, the danger from fallout will get less, but don't take any risks by contact with it. The longer you stay in your refuge, the better it will be for you. Listen to your radio. Stay where you are and keep listening to your radio. Now, this is what you should do if you are out of doors when the warning sounds. Take cover at once when you hear the attack sound. If you cannot reach home in ten minutes take cover in the nearest building. If there is no building nearby, try to find some solid cover. If there is no solid cover, lie flat in a ditch or a hole and cover your head, face and hands as fast as you can with some of your clothes. If you hear the fallout warning, seek the nearest and best cover as quickly as you can. But before entering the building or cover, brush or shake off any fallout dust you may have picked up and get rid of it. Change your outer clothing if you can. Stay undercover. When the all-clear sounds, like this, it means that you are safe from attack or fallout for the time being. And that you can go out again. But keep listening for further warnings or to your radio for further advice. <laughs>